Welcome, everyone, to your WandaVision podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, neighbor. The WandaVision podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode three, now in color and now with titles, Matt, is brought to you by Hydra Soak Luxury Bath Powder. When you want to get away, but you don't want to go anywhere. Indeed, Pete, just in the last couple days, I want to say maybe it was Wednesday while other things were going on. Um, retroactively, the first two episodes of the series got names ahead of this one getting a name. So now it's episode one, film before a live studio audience. And episode two, don't touch that dial, uh, bringing us to this week's Now in Color. So... Pete, this is the not this is not the first time a Disney Plus premiere show has gone back and added uh, added titles. It is not covering the Mandalorian on the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek. They did it, and actually, still, uh, Chapter One doesn't have a title, but it's known as the Mandalorian, um, and the the second. Uh, chapter which aired a couple days later had a title then so yeah it's been it's been done before and you gotta wonder like those titles don't give anything away either it's not like they say geraldine isn't who you think she is or whatnot i i just wonder why the secrecy why the delay why the midweek change Yes, will we get an episode title when we get to the the Friends era, whether it's 90s or 2000s, uh, even though I think we're expecting Full House from 1990s and The Office from 2000s, but do we get one in, you know, the Friends episode style, the one where Vision dies? You know, I as you say, Pete, none of these, clearly these titles should not, you know, should not be written in a way where they're going to give much away. It, it, it's a curious thing. I get it for... The first episode of Mandalorian, um, with a certain sizzle and mystery and whatnot, to then now have this pattern where this is what these shows do. It's just, it's curious, that's all. I don't think it's either good or bad, although I think you and I would both just prefer titles up front, but it's it's a little weird. And plus it makes what we do a little bit more difficult. We had to go back and change that, and it makes it sound retroactively, and granted, you know, new people come to it and understanding this change, but it makes it seem less than complete. Uh, also in news this week, Pete, uh, the uh, so Jack Schaefer, who's uh, the creator of this show, uh, spoke with The Hollywood Reporter. And first of all, The Hollywood Reporter referenced her uh, as the head writer and then in parentheses said something like Marvel Studios speak for showrunner. So right there, I think that gives uh, a little bit of clarity as to the things we've talked about in the past in terms of um, it seems like Marvel Studios for their TV shows, they're using different terminology. All due respect to Kevin Feige, I think it's a little bit of a reminder to all involved in the creative end. Uh, you know, he's the boss of it all. So the only runner of this show uh, is Kevin Feige. But if you're talking about who's the person in charge of day to day in the show, that would be the, the head writer. 
Jack Schaefer, and Jack Schaefer said to the Hollywood Reporter, uh, looking ahead to the future, and Pete, none of this earth-shattering on the topic of second season, here are some quotes. I cannot talk about second season. And I have read that quote accurately. It's not the second season or a second season. I cannot talk about second season. That really fits in with the Marvel philosophy. Kevin is so great at coming out and being like, here's what's happening to a point. Then back to kind of a faux Kevin quote here within Schaefer's quote. Here's the field, and this is where the field drops off. Close Kevin quote back to Schaefer's full words. A second season is not something that can be discussed that's on the field quite yet. Um... And she does, of course, reference that there is an emotional completion at the end of this season. So, Pete, I feel like that's splitting the line between we don't want you to expect a second season when it gets announced that there's a second season. That's my take. What's yours? Um, I think it's a little bit of having your cake and eating it, too. We know that these exist right now with the high high likelihood that they are one-offs um but could it be a situation all right well here was the reaction and we want to do a second season of wandavision of course so if they come out and say it's just one off guess what you can't do guess what it seems kind of goofy guess matt where you are for the emmy nominations uh i don't know about that last part where are we for the emmy nominations well, I mean, if there's no second season, you're in the limited category. That is really true, too. Um, and I know that the they dealt Emmys... with this with Watchmen. Will yes. they? Won't they? And I know that you're allowed to undo that once, but I think that it's with the big... The rules allow you to say, oh, we really meant it to be limited, and then we won all these Emmys, and now we want to change. They let you change once. But I think it's with some finger-wagging prejudice from the Emmy people. Like, j- just figure out what it is. Don't try and game the system, which is a game that has occurred with limited series versus miniseries versus, you know, dramatic series and whatnot. That that game has occurred a number of times in the last eight years. But HBO. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Pete, it's a good problem to have us not knowing whether there are, what, six episodes left or whether there's another season ahead. It's It, it all fits into the mystery of this show. Here's the story of a lovely lady. Pete, what's the story? A Brady Bunch-esque title sequence here, Matt, right at the start. There's ice cream eating with a pronounced baby bump for Wanda. Um, They really did a phenomenal job. I had to go back and look at the actual Brady Bunch set and then their recreation of it in their own space is phenomenal. The, The touches with the tile and that iconic stairway. Now, they're in different places on their set than in the actual Pretty Bunch house, which I had to even look if they were filming in. Um, but Oh, my goodness, you're not kidding. Yeah, it, the, the AstroTurf <laughs> backyard. Um, the exterior of the house uh, remains pretty much like it had, but updated for the 70s. But... You know, there's even this multicolor like panel on the second story 
that they recreated as well. If you go back and look side by side, screenshots from this episode, screenshots of the Brady home, the amount of set dressing to make it look like it is stunning. Hence, maybe, Matt, why I cannot talk about second season because I want to win all the Emmys. Yeah, I mean, just a quick Google image search while you were beginning to talk to talk about that. I, I had recognized the stair, the stairway and different orientation. But the minute you search for Brady Bunch living room, it's like, oh, my goodness, all of these elements are there in WandaVision. It really the tile. I had a yeah. flashback to Brady Bunch. I mean, I was born in 1975 and, you know, 70s, 80s, even 90s, you know, finding that on TV and you can't look away first off. And then in the 90s, we lived through the the two movies and the amount of nostalgia there. Like whoever is responsible for these particular homages, chef's kiss. Well, the business going on in this 70s house, of course, Pete, Dr. Nielsen, after some, uh, some copious inspection here, has determined that Wanda is pregnant. Uh, of course, some doublespeak between Wanda and Vision uh, heard by Dr. Nielsen in terms of it's, it's been so sudden. How did this happen? Of course, Dr. Nielsen adopting the uh, approach of, you know, love between a man and a woman and whatnot. Um, and he, he puts her at about, uh, four months pregnant made to, you know, to we, we in the know it's been about 12 hours. So an opportunity Pete to consider, yes, we're in the third decade. Yes. We're in the third episode. How many hours total have Wanda and vision been in this Westview existence? I think you can make the argument that it's been a handful of days. If that. And that's another big mystery to dig into. I mean, people checking out these first three episodes, it's been interesting that the lack of spoon feeding has made some resistant to this show instead of, hey, dig in for the 90 minutes for the nine episodes and allow them to tell their story at the pace that they're going to do this i guess people are just so conditioned i'm in a movie theater tell me the whole story now but you know in in both modern and classic uh storytelling and you know the wink here from dr nielsen gotta wonder if that's a nod to the nielsen ratings um that to make it simple for the little ladies they use the fruit analogies here, okay? At four months where she is now, the fetus is the size of a pear. At five, it'll be a papaya. At seven, a pineapple. All these come about. And then the double entendre of eight, although it'd be better at nine, that's when honeys do. <laughs> uh, and though on first view, I felt that this episode was a little long on the sitcom story and took a little while to get to the mysteries. Uh, and I think to a certain degree that's true in terms of there's less to chew over in terms of, you know, last week, Dottie is the key to it all. She's just the devil. You know, there's a little bit less word for word kind of stuff to pour over. But um, the comedy here, pretty good. There's all this 
fruit mm-hmm. talk as you talk as you said pete and then wanda saying um particularly as vision starts to sniff some sort of mysterious situation is up with the sudden appearance of the pregnancy but uh it's just this wordplay here of all this fruit discussion it's all a little fruitless you know it's it, it's a fun classic sitcom button to put on the whole fruit metaphor and of course the trope of the doctor making the house call, you know, back when those happened, Matt, um, and the stethoscope and all of that. Uh, of course, he's taking, the doctor is, as he's seen out, uh, his wife on vacation that afternoon, so potentially leaving the story. You've got Herb next door with the hedge clippers. Oh, hey, buddy. Uh, and Vision asks the doctor to keep this on the down low so you know family doesn't find out yet they they want to let everybody know in a proper time as the doctor is off to bermuda baby and herb starts cutting through the cinder block wall <laughs> to wanda and vision's home may have taken that a little too far ah so i have yeah and he he just kind of keeps going, seeming almost mm-hmm. stuck. I'm sure we're going to dig into that in our theories segment. Back inside the house, uh, it appears to Vision that Wanda is bigger. Uh, <laughs> Pete, I'd love to be down on the next joke, but it's just, it's, it's, look, we've discussed before how Paul Bettany has this big dramatic background to him, and then more recently, so famous for Vision, with, you know, that calls for a bit more of a serious and robotic presentation. He sells the intentionally bad joke as he uh-huh. picks up the dropped papaya that he's proud to be. He's ready to be a proud papaya. I mean, he that's it's just that's the best version of that joke, and and he gives it to us. Wanda moves to the baby's room here, where she's putting the crib together with magic. There is Simser paint, that of course named for WandaVision's storyboard artist Jeremy Simser. So, Pete, not everything a thing. Sometimes it just exists there as, hey, guy makes nice pictures for a show. Let's ma- name a prop after him. Except when it may be an inadvertent thing like Hydrosoak. But we'll get to that in good time. Uh, back in that nursery there, Wanda hangs a butterfly mobile and pauses as she feels some kicking. Uh, it's a fluttery feeling. And with that, the mobile butterflies come to life. Uh, Vision tells us that if there's kicking, she's at six months now. So, Pete, we talked oftentimes uh, about the story clock, and we've now gone, let's say, if we if we rewind to the very end of last episode, we've gone from suddenly pregnant to four months in this episode, now at six months. Uh, story clock, indeed. Yes, uh, and Viz can't wait to meet little Billy, you know, for the William Shakespeare, Wanda was thinking Tommy, classic, all-American. Dig into those names in a little bit. Uh, perhaps the solution to hope for a girl with a difference of opinion. And uh, Wanda continues painting the stork on the wall here. Vision does the math. She's due Friday afternoon in three days. Maybe she should sit down. Uh, and of course, in what we are viewing as the constructed reality, the unreal reality that is inside the MCU, 
uh, Billy William Shakespeare, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players, that quote given to us and uh, definitely, I think, meant to add to an ominous tone. This even, Pete, as I was critical of too long with the sitcom stuff and not enough with the mystery stuff until until the end, I guess, to be fair, uh, it, it's more interspersed than I felt on initial view. Uh, some time goes by, and Vision is practicing putting on diapers. I don't think, Pete, any metaphor there. I think the diaper is meant to be a diaper. The dolly <laughs> meant to represent uh, you know, a, a prospective real child. Uh, they're so prepared. Wanda has some false labor pains, which uh, places There's her There's a pineapple in... on the kitchen table. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're, we're getting close to pineapple size, uh, particularly since those labor pains place her in the third trimester. They practice some of that breathing that, Pete, you modeled so wonderfully at the top of the podcast. Uh, and we have her pains continuing and the whole kitchen going crazy. You got your egg beaters. You got your foaming sink. You have your, uh, your, your zips and zaps and so forth. Your ice maker referenced in a little bit, the chattering. Um, and it all works in light of these Braxton Hicks contractions, also known as false labor. Uh, but she's setting these things off. There's a loss of control here. So they abandon that kitchen. The lights go out. There's kind of a, a moment there where they both kind of return to Avengers mode, hands up uh, to each other's backs there. But Vision goes to check the neighbors as uh, their lights are out. Uh, great moment. The only appearance of Dottie and uh, Phil Jones in this episode. He's reading the Westview newspaper, which it's very difficult to see because it's at an angle. It might be the Herald. Uh, the headline seems really, really purposeful the way that it's folded, though. It says to Hydra, but it's supposed to be hydrants uh, added to Maine. Um, and there's a photo of one of the hydrants. So we know they're hydrants and not hydras. Um, Dottie asks if her earrings make her look fat. And Phil is let off the hook by the power failing. My wife's reaction was, oh, they're married. Uh, and apparently so, although, you know, question all reality in Westview. Back we go to the Vision residence. Uh, are the neighbors close to figuring out the secret? Uh, Vision here starts to think, starts to process. It's more than a secret. Mr. and Mrs. Hart, the dinner, Herb just before. Something is wrong here. We see Wanda looking on in terror. And then, Pete, the show skips. No rewind this time. No overt clue to the audience. I'm sh I know for me, and I bet for you, and I bet for 99% of the listeners out there, when there was the skip, you thought that something had happened with your internet or the Disney Plus connection or something like that. And I give the show a ton of credit for risking for all of two seconds, risking having the audience be genuinely confused what just happened to the the delivery of the narrative to, to do that and to have you rely on last week it was a rewind but we're at a different time now and i think too matt like there's an intelligence to the marvel viewer that can get through this so maybe some of the people who are watching this and I am confused. What do you mean? There's not been a big battle. And where is Thor? Maybe need to understand 
TV storytelling. Uh, the scene concludes with the idea that the baby will be perfect, just like his maw. Uh, there are then worse labor pains, and in part of the comedic panic, Vision flies up. Uh, he gets calmed, indeed, by the breathing, uh, but then it starts to rain inside, and we have uh, Wanda saying to end the act, or the faux act, that she thinks her water just broke. Pete, this moment, I know we've moved, strictly speaking, we've moved out of the 1960s. I believe Bewitched did run into the early 70s, but this this could have been how a, a later season episode of Bewitched could have broken an act. Uh, not going to show too much of the particulars of water breaking, but just to have that whole gag was just perfect. Yes, into a commercial, Matt, where... Uh, a woman, the same woman we've had in the two prior commercials. Uh, she's at the breakfast table and the kids strangely have a soccer ball in the kitchen because that's what you allowed your children to do in the 70s. Knocks over her uh, bowl of cereal. Can't read the cereal name and boy did I try. It's some sort of brand cereal. Uh, later, a dog urinates on uh, on a doorpost uh, also, a child is cooking a turkey and apologizes to mom because that's been ruined. And then the blender, of course, goes off uh, with the lid uh, unlatched. Uh, but uh, a man, and we can presume this is the voice of the man we've seen in the previous commercials, asks if the woman needs a break. Did you read my mind? Then come with me. And to the tub she goes to escape to a world all her own where her problems float away. Hmm. Like the end of the episode. Um, this, of course, for Hydra Soak, the goal to find the goddess within and a really interesting connection we'll talk about when we get to theories later on with the rest of Marvel TV because Matt... Hashtag, it's all connected. Back to the show proper. The rain has stopped and they're soaked. I must admit, Pete, my heart went out to the set itself. I mean, it looked mm -hmm. legitimately like it was soaked, including the, the really luxurious, you know, table and whatnot. The uh, rug, the really heavy, like, shag rug underneath. And um, this is where I'm like, all right, maybe there's some studio glad handing of you know all right hey we're gonna do this superhero series but we're gonna set each episode in different decades can we use the brady house sure just don't do anything we wouldn't <laughs> uh you know like waterlog it um and this is where on the second viewing i really went down the rabbit hole to see like all right that is definitely not the brady house that they just set sprinklers off in uh, luckily, within the world of the world within the show, uh, Wanda is able to magic up some wind, uh, and that dries everything out. Maybe it's time to call the doctor, but blast, the phones are down, and uh, Vision speedruns out to go get him. That leaves Wanda alone to feel more uh, labor pains. She hears a sound. In a little bit, it's going to be revealed to be the, the chatter of the real life-ish, or real life completely, stork but with that pete there's a ding dong at the door and it's geraldine there to come on in and uh, borrow a bucket doesn't force her way in but i think on repeat view you realize there's a little bit of an agenda here to to get into the house and to stay in the house there is you got to wonder 
if she doesn't already know Wanda is expecting. She greets Wanda in this blue coat, though we're told it's 75 degrees out, must be a fashion statement. This not a good time. Wanda goes to the kitchen and then the uh, hijacking of her abilities through the labor continues. Then she's in a yellow rain slicker and then a mink coat. Uh, the coat comes off a bowl of fruit in front of the belly to hide the pregnancy. And uh, Geraldine's going to tell us all about this temp job she has what with moon men and everything. Indeed. For my tastes, I can appreciate that this may be metaphor and this may be the most brilliant scene uh, by the time the series is over because of the clues it's giving and whatnot. Definitely on first view for me, this story went on a tad too long. Yes, we have the stork uh, in the background and we have um, Wanda trying to magic it away and the really great smoke effect and then the the stork is there kind of shaking off the smoke. Uh, the power is not working completely. Uh, we hear the chatter of the stork again. Wanda explains it away as the new ice maker. And ultimately, Pete, this story of Geraldine's ends up with her getting a promotion. Um, and Old time gig. Yes. And, and she'd like to go into that spare room for office supplies, you know, now that she's working in the office. And again... While I think there's a, the the most surface level sitcominess to this scene, like I said, for me it goes on a little bit too long. There's a purpose that Geraldine has. It's deeper than just I would like some staples and pencils, and, and I'm certainly cognizant of that. Uh, even as Geraldine sees the uh, the crib and then turns around to find out that Wanda is not just thinking about being pregnant, but very pregnant. Yes, the fruit facade has fallen. Meanwhile, uh, Dr. Nielsen uh, wonders why, just as he's ready to go to Bermuda, his car poops out, even though we know Bermuda is an island. He's not going to drive there, maybe airport, but potato, potato. Uh, Mr. Vision arrives and whisks Dr. Nielsen away from his wife, who's going on about her new two-piece uh, back at the WandaVision household here, Geraldine is now helping Wanda as the vacuum is magically going on its own, laser down. Um, there's there's a an exorcist vibe that I really dig, how everything is spinning and going on its own. The, the paintings later, a wall fixture, the fireplace the chandelier over the kitchen table falls and then it's time to push. Yes. And <laughs> Pete, as is wont to happen on TV, uh, particularly slightly older TV after a few moments of that pushing, what's the product? It's a clean, perfect TV baby. Uh, vision returns at this time with Dr. Nielsen. Uh, <laughs> the doctor of course does not need to look anybody over because clearly everything is fine. Geraldine suggests that she and the doc step into the kitchen. Vision puts on his natural robot face to meet his son, little Tommy. It's a touching moment, but then, uh, ah, ah, back to the screaming. There's another baby coming, uh, and it's Billy. Uh, of course, again, it being TV, we can fast forward over the particulars. Uh, a bit later, 
Dr. Nielsen recounting that there's 20 fingers and 20 toes amounting to two healthy baby boys. Uh, and indeed, he's so impressed by the help that Geraldine had, maybe she'd like a job to be his nurse, which I'm sure we're going to dig into as well, since Geraldine appears to be uh, on the up and up in this constructed story in a lot of different ways. So uh, Vision walks the doctor out again. Hopefully he can make his trip, but he doesn't think he can get away because small towns are just so hard to escape. Dun, dun, dun. On that, uh, he sees Agnes now, who we've only seen in the credit sequence when uh, uh, Wanda was uh, shopping for baby clothes with her. But there's some whispering. What? What she doing in there, Geraldine? Did you see her go inside? And then back to Geraldine inside the home with Wanda. Uh, we hear uh, Geraldine tell her she's such a strong lady. Wanda remembering, wait, I'm a twin. I had a brother named Pietro. She sings in Sokovian. And there's a moment here and full credit to Tayana Paris. Yeah, I mean, she's being asked to do a lot here and to make it look like not a lot. And it's just it's just so astonishing. Uh, and also, too, in, the, in at this point in the narrative, we're so used to this scene than that scene. And it's it's been fast intercutting to take the quick interlude to uh to Dottie's house here now we're going back and forth from the driveway to inside back and forth with slightly faster pacing um and of course with uh with Wanda singing in Sokovian to her twins um having reflected on herself being a twin as you said Pete and then after a pause Geraldine Geraldine in a new kind of voice a voice of kind authority says he was killed by Ultron wasn't he and then Again, after that shocking moment, back outside we go to the neighbors, reflecting on Geraldine being a newcomer, no husband, no family, extra emphasis from Agnes, no home. Uh, And then, Pete, we're back inside where, where, what did Geraldine just say? The Pietro question about Ultron. Okay, I think it's time for you to leave here. The babies, by proxy, begin crying. Back out to the driveway wait what do you mean vision asks uh herb says that she came here because we're all because we're all won't finish the statement here what are you trying to tell me back inside again the rather prominent sword necklace around uh geraldine's neck wait who are you outside agnes tells herb to stop it she gets on her bike because that macrame is not going to hitch itself. Herb will catch him on the flip side and vision heads back in where Wanda uh, is now over the babies. He changes back to his robotic self. What about Geraldine, Matt? She had to rush home, right? As the screen widens. And I think, look, we've seen this shift to widescreen before. We saw it in Mandalorian Season 2. It was more subtle then. Um, In fact, my recollection for Mandalorian was it just kind of expanded or it was done in a very subtle way. With this, 
the top and bottom are shifting, the sides are shifting. Pete, I think it's never not going to be thrilling as a reminder that, first of all, I mean, literally, what's the cinematography telling us? That for Wanda, her world is widening here. Uh, And then with that switch, we have what appears to be a sign for the real Westview. Uh, It's not as quite a... Quite, quite a clean sign, you know, just looks a little dinged up and whatnot, but appears, I think the takeaway can be that they are at a, the real Westview. Uh, Westview. Uh, Geraldine uh, is thrown out of it uh, with red magic around her, so clearly kind of the Wanda connection there, passing through what appears to be a hollow fence or hollow projection of sorts. She's almost immediately surrounded by law enforcement trucks and choppers, guns are drawn, uh, we see as the camera really pulls out a series of what appear to be kind of football field lights in the distance, perhaps illuminating or maintaining a field with holographic shimmer. There's tents as well, uh, structures uh, you can imagine uh, from which the uh, the people in the cars emerged. There were also barricades um, at the very beginning of the sequence before uh only seven minutes of credits this time at what's the deal with this episode pete some theories here and then some things that are they theories i don't know but this is the spot to talk about them first on my list uh, one of the babies has a red mark on his forehead. Uh, is it perhaps akin to his papa's gemstone? Is it intentional? Is it that the wee baron maybe just scratched his forehead moments before filming and nobody caught it? It could be the one or the other or something else. What say you? I didn't pick up on that. I like the potential homage to uh, Vision's Mindstone, but... Uh... Something tells me it could go either way. So Herb appears rather robotic when (laughs) hedge trimming that wall. Uh, Later on, though, he's a bit more sympathetic when Agnes, with with terror in her eyes, kind of waves him off of a reveal. Pete, is Herb fully aware of the situation in the way maybe the the secret watcher revealed at the end of the first episode is aware or the way that I think we assume Agnes is aware is Herb on that list as well. I think so. I think he seems to have knowledge that he's a prisoner to what extent is it as, you know, with it as Agnes, has he been there as long? Does it come in degrees? That's part of the question. How about Dr. Nielsen? Who's, very much there as the guest doctor that the story requires. And then in his final scene, you know, is saying you simply can't escape. Again, how long has he been there? And what is the nature of that? I mean, the, the guy was ready to, it, it's not clear, drive to Bermuda. But again, you know, all right, well, are they going to take a really long ferry as opposed to an aeroplane? Who knows? I here's how I answer that. I think the 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 doctor in the constructed reality had this story to go to Bermuda and to leave. I think if if the doctor Neil if the real doctor Nielsen, for lack of a better word, is 
if he's gotten word kind of Truman Show style, and I know we have some feedback in a little bit, you know, talking more about the Truman Show, but if the real Dr. Nielsen is has gotten the okay to leave the Westview construct, the story excuse is go to Bermuda, but he's fully prepared to get into his car to drive to the exit, the checkpoint, whatever, and to return to the normal world. That was my maybe, take anyway. Maybe he could go to Tahiti. <laughs> maybe, Pete. Uh, in this episode, we saw some... We saw footage that we had seen from the previews, but it's different here. In the preview, Wanda asks Geraldine, who are you? And the response is, I don't know. Or at least that's what the that's what it appears to be. It might have been another take. It might have been two scenes stitched together, whatever. But my expectation was, who are you? I don't know. In the episode that we got, it's who are you? And it's I don't dot, dot, dot. And we kind of cut back to Wanda for tension and cut back outside. So I know part of the job of an able writer, and you know this episode written by Megan McDonald, I know part of the job of an able writer is you overwrite and then you give things for the editor to pull back from or to shift around. What are your thoughts, Pete, that maybe she used to say she didn't know who she is and now... For the episode that we saw, not the preview that we can theorize about, but the actual body of the episode, which is the the official thing to talk about, we don't get an I don't know. We just get I don't dot, dot, dot. So your thoughts there. For me, it comes down to the nature of this reality. Is this all of Wanda's making? Is it, you know, sword or something else that's doing this? Is um geraldine fully aware of who she is does the distortion extend to her mind i mean she's if it's the act of all right i'm the temp i'm the i'm the friend etc etc um is she fully aware or does it break down at times for me the moment when she blinked and then she's asking about Ultron, and obviously that sets up, you know, the the conflict at the end of the episode. Um, was that a slip, or did she start to remember too? I personally, for what we've gotten so far, I read it as Geraldine, Geraldine in the sitcom way, but it, it appeared that Geraldine was inserting herself into the house uh, in a way that was not completely welcome again kind of within the you know keep the secret kind of sitcom aesthetic but it seemed like Geraldine was pushing the envelope we got that feeling from Agnes and Herb that Geraldine was pushing the envelope my take is that Geraldine aka Monica Rambeau that we'll talk more about <laughs> for my next two points um, my take is that she's intentionally rocking the boat here and that this this question doesn't suddenly come to her that she's looking for this opening to kind of shake reality a bit. Um, as with all these things, time will tell. Speaking of Monica, Pete, there was discussion online, nay, perhaps in some quarters, some confusion as to how old Monica Rambeau would be. So, Pete, check my math here. Captain Marvel took place in 1995. Um, Monica was 10 or under. Uh, I, I would say more in the eight range. I've seen people say 10, so somewhere in there. We can assume, based on 
I guess, just other evidence from the MCU in general, not kind of in universe, not in WandaVision uh, proof. We can assume that this is 2023 or so. Mm-hmm. So by my math, that would make a non-snapped Monica Rambeau 38, 39, somewhere in there. That would make a snapped and returned Monica Rambeau five years less. So early 30s, Tiana Paris is early 30s. To me, this all evens out. What are your thoughts, particularly since this was a point of apparent confusion on social media? Yeah, I mean, I don't understand why people wouldn't think that the character would be in her 30s. Um, All within the trappings, within everything they've given us as far as information. So, one more thing here about... Monica Rambeau. I mean, it's obviously it's widely thought that Geraldine is not just Monica Rambeau. We've been told that. We were told that at San Diego Comic-Con a year and a half ago, 2019, whenever that was. But it's widely thought that she's uh, an agent of S.W.O.R.D. Uh, if so, the response to her ejection, maybe for dramatic effect, you know, all the all the lights and whatnot. But Pete, to be completely serious here for a second, do you think that there was a discussion at the studio at any point in the last six months as to the super fun ending of the episode um, maybe getting a different look since it does end with weapons drawn by law enforcement on an innocent person of color? It's a take to be certain. I mean, that Monica Rambeau, uh, you know, needed to, to rush home and is thrown um rambo gets rochambeaued if you will um there's both a comedic and a dark underlying tone to it so not fully understanding and this was the last episode screened for media prior to the first two episodes becoming available a little bit more than a week ago and there you have it. So everybody's on the same page now and not fully understanding this scope with six episodes left. So the Hydra soak, let's talk about that as we kind of move chronologically here. I know we just talked about the end, but I wanted to, wanted to stick with Geraldine, AKA Monica, the Hydra soak, Pete, uh, I know you've done some digging there. What are your thoughts? I mean, obviously the Hydra one is, is dare say requires no explanation or, these agents of Hydra, this male and female that keep occurring in the uh, in the credits, but uh, I think you have some info to dig deeper on on the soak. Well, first off, the commercial. I mean, clearly a, a riff on Calgon. Take me away. I mean, right down to the to the bathtub in the uh, you know Greek type of uh, you know spa, um, but with the uh the soap okay in particular so agents of shield in its fourth season matt you know the framework part of the fourth season and for those of you who have not watched agents of shield one watch it uh and catch them all on netflix and i'll eventually migrate to disney plus but two that fourth season uh construction of different pods the the uh climactic one being the framework which was an augmented reality our characters were placed into and colson uh has a discussion with uh daisy johnson about 
um, Hydra mind control soap. So, you know, like you can read this woman's mind that she needs a break from reality, perhaps. Uh, so, you know, was this an inadvertent, oh, well, we're going to do a funny Calgon, take me away, but it'll be a Hydra soak uh, and she'll do that. Uh, or, or is this Feige and Loeb burying the hatchet, Matt? Burying the hatchet over soap. Again, I, there were many highs. There were some lows for the Jeff Loeb Marvel Loves. TV. Loeb's Lowe's uh, era, uh, that whole Marvel TV era, um, was not without some downsides. Uh, I do worry that, I guess we'll continue with the with the the the, the bathroom metaphor here. I worry that because of the an, the personal animosity, what I assume is personal animosity from Jeff Loeb, or pardon me, from Kevin Feige to Jeff Loeb, and perhaps the other way around, but Feige now the boss of it all. I worry that with with that personal animosity that you have the baby thrown out with the bathwater in terms of no 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 there will be no references to Coulson to Agents of Shield to you know you're not going to get a a quake throwaway reference you know I even fear Pete rumors of uh, will Jessica Jones guest star in uh, in She Hulk and things like that that some of these rumors have come and gone you know. It, has it all been painted with the Marvel TV brush and therefore is is uh, no good? Uh, and if you think I'm crazy, I refer listeners to the director's commentary for uh, for Endgame when they're talking about the appearance of uh, of Jarvis, uh, Mr. Jarvis, uh, and they start to say, you know, he's from the TV and and uh, uh, and then somebody cuts somebody else off and says, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Um, so there is a there is a real world beef there that could that could translate, but I guess Pete, as with a lot of these things, we are only a third of the way through the show, the the season, if not the entire series. So so time will tell. Um, let's let's circle to Vision here. What can we infer from this idea that apparently Wanda knows way more than Vision regarding the nature of this reality? Are we perhaps setting up some sort of third and final death for Vision? For me, it comes down to hers seems to be more absent-minded than his, which just as he's starting to, much like some of our other characters, be on the verge of discovering the secret we get the cut in this episode, whereas we had the rewind when they saw the beekeeper uh, in the previous one. And so if you watch the episode for the entirety of the episode where he wears the um, the sweater with one collar um, popped over the sweater and the other firmly in and it stays like that in the entire episode that's intentional so he's in and he's out uh you know i had caught that and at the time it, it, when I, it, on on the multiple viewings it was like hey that that keeps happening or that remains there i will grant you that's not, not you, a continuity p- issue that's right. not hey we went to to lunch and it popped out and we forgot to go back and do it no 
they made that to be that way the entire episode. So that is a visual representation for Vision of where he's at. He's in and he's out. I I, I love it. Some, sometimes a cigar is a cigar. Sometimes a popped <laughs> collar is a key towards one's understanding of the nature of reality. Pete, what other theories do you have? The 12 hours, the, the four months of time passage, and again, the question of how long they have been in this reality. Yeah, which I feel like this episode can be a bit of a guidepost to that, uh, in that the pregnancy appears to happen by my math. She's pregnant the, at the evening at the end of the, pre- the, the prior episode, and then this is all the same day. So are we on pace for potentially an episode a day? I mean, they arrive, they arrive in the first episode, there's the, you know, nighttime bed stuff, what's wrapping at the window in the second episode that then leads to the next morning. So is that day two? Are we now into day three? I think we're on pace for that. I think we're on pace for an episode a day. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we get some sort of, at some point, whenever it is that reality breaks down or this fake reality breaks down, I would expect some sort of, you've been in there for a week or, or we get some sort of, firm statement of you know after after eight days of the field generator holding back the who's what's energy now it's failed or, or that kind of thing yeah the nature of this sandbox still not apparent in in the least except that you know there is an edge to it we get a little bit more of that um you mentioned jack schaefer and her comments to the hollywood reporter uh, this week earlier, Matt, uh, Paul Bettany spoke and he clarified that this is a post Avengers Endgame story. In fact, there was discussion, if not some work done on a scene for Endgame in which he would have appeared. He is not in that film um, where Wanda views him either in a drawer or uh, on a table um, and sets this up. I suppose I appreciate his clarification. I think that it had not occurred to me that that was a theory, that this was some sort of flashback. But I think that if there are, pe- if there are fans of the MCU who were thinking that it was a flashback, fair is fair. You had a flashback Captain Marvel movie in the last couple of years. You... <laughs> You should have had and will have a flashback Black Widow movie, whether that maintains its uh, May 7th release in theaters or if that is on the move this week, Pete. Many movies from the May to June, pardon me, yes, no, from the March to June range, a number of those have moved for summer and fall spots. Um, But I get it. There There are a number of these movies now kind of outside of the apparent time continuity um i even think you know eternals might take place simultaneous with everything else but i don't think they're gonna you know i don't think they're gonna be like and now this is the post thanos world you know i think that might be muddy as well but i had not had the question as to when it takes place i think it's a year a year and a half or so after endgame how about this uh hedge trimmer thing is is this herb trying to break out 
Well, I think that's a good theory. What makes it so strange is if Herb is fully aware, um, as opposed to an automaton, a robot, or something like that, if Herb is less than fully aware, him kind of mindlessly continuing to, to you know, hedge trim through the, the half wall there, that makes sense. But if he's got full knowledge, which is another interpretation of his scene with Agnes, then literally why would he keep doing that? And perhaps it's because he thinks he's smarter than Vision or he has better knowledge of the world than Vision. And, and I love that idea that maybe it's breaking out in spite of the fact that Vision is watching him. What about uh, Wanda's loss of control here? Is that how the cracks are beginning to become evident? Uh, either a real pregnancy or an imagined pregnancy manufactured for this reality um, exposing the limits of it well on the topic of the pregnancy and I'll you know I'll turn a blind eye to some of the info from the comics for a moment because I think that provides us a a template a foundation but it, this is not you know a slavish uh, a redo of the comics which by the way Pete some people continue you know but it's House of M okay, the most famous thing from House of M is no more mutants. Guess what? There's already no more mutants. So this is not a one-for-one redo, but I digress. Um, I feel like it's off-brand. It would be off-brand for Marvel, even the same Marvel that that has given us the the poignant death of Killmonger and, and things of that sort, You know, let alone tears in the eyes of all of us at the end of Endgame and all that. It would be off-brand to be like, hey, she wanted to be a mom, and she had babies because comic book things, because I wouldn't quite say story magic, but you know, because of comic book stuff, she had babies, even though dad is a robot. But ha ha ha, we took the babies away at the end, or gut punch, we took the babies away at the end, now I really feel the emotions. I have no doubt that we'd feel the emotions, I just think it's not quite Marvel, and that's before even factoring in, you know, is there a gender interpretation about her wants versus what she can have and things like that? I just think it's not emotionally resonant to say that the pregnancy will have never happened. It will all be a dream, a la the famous season of, what was it, Dallas, where it was all a dream. Um, as to her not being in control fully of her powers, <laughs> Pete, I think that's part of the reason why presumably sword and whoever else is on the outskirts of the real west view trying to maintain this extremely dangerous situation which each week we view as a delightful sitcom so billy and tommy reaching obviously to the comics billy known as wiccan tommy uh the young hero speed both of whom become members of the young avengers it'll be interesting It'll be interesting to see where all of this ends up, by which I mean we've already had the one five-year-later time jump. We've already had a time jump of sorts to say, you know that 1995 movie where the girl grew up and even if you're not a completely... Like, if you're not aware of what happened at San Diego Comic-Con or all the articles about how Tiana Paris is playing Monica Rambeau, like, 
the story is going to explain very clearly for us, for all the members of the audience, at the moment of the reveal, that this is the little girl all grown up, blah, blah, blah. I think there's a limit to the number of time jumps you can do, given the compact nature of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You want to do different time periods in your Star Trek, in your Star Wars, uh, that's doable. I just, It's just not an MCU thing. It's... What we've been trained for over 10 years is, roughly speaking, the year you watch the thing is the year it takes place. Oh, asterisk, now we've done the five years later thing, blah, blah, blah. But, like, there still is meant to be a certain progression of time. How we get to Wiccan and Speedster in the next five years, I'm not quite sure. And they're going to milk those five years for however long the story tells them they need to. Um, what the story, what Wanda's also floating. So after she starts with her false contractions and it's affecting the power and, uh, you know, the water in, uh, Westview, she asks if vision thinks the neighbors know it's all her fault. I love how there's so much in this show that really, really um, does play on multiple levels. Uh, as I said before, watching watching this the first time, I was a bit put off by the direct sitcom comedy of most of the episode, and then fair's fair. Each time I've rewatched it, and I've seen this episode three times now, each time lines like that reveal themselves earlier and earlier. Um, so... All of it supporting the idea that Wanda is... Pete, I, I think Wanda is more aware of her circumstances than I think you do. Uh, but regardless, all of this is a mystery that we're meant to be picking at. This is a show that's built for weekly releases, that's built for theorizing. And with all due respect to my beloved Lost, um, I think this also is a show that's built for mysteries at a, at a different bite size than in the past you know even i think of game of thrones maybe that guy will come back after four years you know versus this where you're meant to you're meant to scratch the itch but you kind of have the knowledge probably at some point before the end of february we're gonna have all the answers and it's like okay so i'll put up with the itch for a little bit longer for one more week one more week well that's just the thing you know lost co-showrunner damon lindelof um talks about the story being the iceberg and there's what's above the surface that you saw and what was below the surface that, you know, they built out to create that story, but you never saw the, the whole thing with WandaVision is obviously the, the setup and the follow through, which will have to be there. So, you know, when Westview seems the people there seem to be on the verge of discovering Wanda and Vision's secret. Clearly, Wanda plays a bigger role than does Vision. I mean, it's a fair question given what we know has happened to him, uh, having been blown up by Wanda, um, the stone then having had it yanked out of his indestructible head by Thanos, killed twice, uh, is he even real here? I, I feel sad at the question, Pete, but I think that it's, it's a great one. 
is this authentic or is this fleeting? And I'm not even asking that in terms of a story foul kind of sense. I think many times if you do, oh, it was the season that did not exist. It was all a dream. You know, oftentimes I say, stay away from it was all a dream because that's a cheat to the audience. Except for The Wizard of Oz, which it works. So it gets to do it and you don't. Is this an exception? And I know that this is not literally a dream, but I know that I know that one possibility here is that this really is Vision's swan song and that we get to, we get the romance that we never quite saw. It's the romance that happened in between the movies we get in this show, but that ultimately it's going to be this bittersweet rewatch of the entire nine episode run because we know it's, it's not meant to last because dead is actually dead. Um, the big question is, do they commit to that? I mean, characters have come back. We're on, what what Loki are we on now, Pete? I mean, how many times has Loki <laughs> died? Either, either you know, proper fake-out death, you know, uh, Dark World comes to mind, or real death and, and all of that. So my point is this. We can... Loki's death in the movies uh, in Infinity War, that was legit and it hurt, and then... We got the wink, wink, oh, he's back because it's time stuff. And then when he escaped, yay! So we get both the sadness of his real death and we get the happiness of his real escape from the timeline. And coming this, uh, what's our anticipated date? Our anticipated date is May okay. 21st. Loki 101 comes out. You know, Loki episode one. Both can exist, but it's a real fine line because it hurt to lose vision not once but twice in Infinity War. Well, wait till you see how many Lokis there are there. But on Geraldine, Matt, this temp job, you know, at the advertising agency where she's helping her boss come up with the Moon Men cereal slogan, um, obviously sword connected to, uh, you know, otherworldly uh, contact. Yeah. And I would even loop that into in a in a general sense we had the beekeeper last week um a beekeeper's outfit somewhat similar to moon men so if if i'm wrong and usually with these things pete i'm a um my my north south is totally lined up it's just lined up the wrong way so my theory my theory work is good it's just the wrong conclusion um say it just say it pete's always right well pete 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 has a good batting average let's put it like that um, though I'm advocating for, you know, Geraldine, you know, Monica as Geraldine knows everything. If I'm wrong about that, then Geraldine as slight flashes of Monica's memory or whatnot, remembering the moon men when actually it's the beekeeper, because that's your anti-radiation, anti-magic, anti-infinity stone, whatever it is, um, suit you could have a through line there where she's misremembering the real beekeeper outfit and the real beekeeper person as a moon man. Well, that's where the writing of this episode intentional and, and well done. So she has no home, Agnes Herb picking up no family. Where does she live? Is this metaphor or is this real? Has she been separated from uh her mother from uh carol danvers and uh is she somebody that soared a la uh a sky daisy with shield being able to tap into as an asset 
Well, Pete, I think your theory backed up by the idea that it's been confirmed uh, in that Disney Investor Day that Tiana Paris will play Monica Rambeau in Captain Marvel 2. So there's that there's that in the mix as well. You know, is she... We, we assume on the one hand that she's an agent of S.W.O.R.D., and I think that that would slot very nicely for this show, would slot very nicely for Captain Marvel 2, could it also be that she's working on behalf of Captain Marvel, and I can't quite explain the sword necklace, but at least temporarily she's in opposition to sword or in opposition to whoever the baddies are that are the baddies question mark that are outside uh, there at you know when she gets ejected. So I don't know, lots of options here, and again, lots of lots of lots of itches to scratch. Was that sword on the edge of Westview? I mean, that was my take, but I, I think of how, I think of how conscious Marvel Studios is um, to, I don't want to say, saying both sides of the coin, playing both sides of the coin is uh, unfair to them, but they try and thread the needle of being modern and progressive and accessible to all audiences and accessible to multiple types of experiences in the world, as well as creating kind of family-friendly, you know, a Marvel movie, something that anybody can go see and you understand what's going on most of the time. In the end, good overcomes evil. The juxtaposition there of, of we know that, at least as far as we can tell, Geraldine is completely innocent and there she is surrounded by law enforcement it, it it's it's a point worth considering, and I know that we've done that on the podcast, but while I wouldn't be surprised if her next scene is dust off, dust off, and a voice from behind the crowd says, you know, make a path, don't you know who that is? And the path forms, and the person speaking says, that's Agent Rambeau, and close up on Agent Wu, you know, and whatnot, and everything's all good. Okay, that's one dramatic undo there where we set up tension at the end of the episode and it ends up being a false tension you know or the people who were there in opposition to her are in opposition to whatever mission she is on whether she's an agent of sword or a free agent working for captain marvel or you know a, a mere unpowered person working for the avengers who knows well matt like westview uh patreon.com slash fantastic geek there's some sort of barrier, but you can get through it. And on the other side, boy, is it a magical place. Indeed. And the best magic is the help that we get from our listeners, keeping us listener supported over there on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. And uh, luckily, Pete, nobody is held in that community by hollow fences or constructed reality. Uh, and certainly all the support there always appreciated. And you determine the value. It takes just the dollar to get you through that imaginary force field. And all sorts of exclusives could come in the form of uh, early listens or things that you can only find behind that barrier. But get yourself to patreon.com slash fantastic geek today. Last call to share your thoughts. And Pete, let's start with our Twitter poll uh, where the choices were this. One star, get out, got 4.3%. Two stars, oh baby baby, 
got 6.4%. Three stars, Bafo Bunch, got 8.5%. And then Four's Company, uh, Four Stars, got 80.9%. So Pete, let's just call that 81%. So some really, really enthusiastic response to this episode. Uh, we heard from Noel Gardner, that's at Noel Camille, who said, I was in, but now I'm in, in. The noisy neighbor Agnes not coming in the house and being visibly scared about quote-unquote Geraldine being inside uh, was interesting, plus the glitch and the Rosemary's baby calmness after expelling Monica was so eerie. Then the stork being like, and then Noel has included a gif from uh, Labyrinth with the Jennifer Connelly character saying, you have no power over me. So to recap, Pete, then the stork being like, you have no power over me. Uh, we heard from JT Atkins. It's at JTA is me. Even if she doesn't know it, I think Wanda is controlling the simulation. The name of the show isn't their two names together. It's television with Wanda swapped in. Wow, what an interesting take. It's her show. Monica expected, uh, pardon me, Wanda expelled Monica for interrupting the simulation. Loving it, even if my theory is wrong. We heard from Andre Yeager. It's at Dr. Polo in 1983. The show is moving at a perfect pace, and the blending of the era sitcom format makes it better. We still don't know who is in control or what the real purpose is. I love it. Glad they didn't dump them all at once. These need to marinate. Uh, we heard from James the Sagacious. That's at Big Killin on Twitter. Uh, uniquely fun. The buildup is great. I think we are in for a massive Marvel movie, uh, Marvel Universe payoff, which Pete is interesting. You having mentioned Captain Marvel before, I know we've kind of we've kicked around the theory. You know, what would it take? Probably not much financially or schedule wise to have an Avenger show up at some point in the end, in one scene, in multiple scenes, in an episode. Any kind of revised theory now that we're one third of the way through. So for me it comes to the budget and the purported budget of these nine episodes was $225 million. I've heard that too. I have a hard time. I don't think that we've seen $25 million an episode. We have not seen that thus far. Now that said, just because something costs $225 million, you don't necessarily divide that by nine and there you go. Um, these are fairly simple sets. These are old school wire tricks that they're doing. Um, the, the pilot episode was shot in two days after a week of rehearsal. So this is not, this is not, you know, wait for the moon to clear the, the, the moon to clear from behind the clouds on the perfect Eve so that we can get the, the, you know, the perfect shot. Um, Pete, if it, if it did cost that much money, then we have a whole heck of a lot of amazing stuff ahead of us, visually and cost and all that. Uh, we move on to rmore79. That's uh, at rmore6179 on Twitter. Uh, it is beginning to remind me of The Truman Show. More clues coming out that make me think that Wanda might be in an experiment. Are the babies real? Why is time moving so quickly, almost as fast as Vision? I really enjoy this show so far. Pete, I don't know that we've discussed it being an experiment a la The Truman Show. I don't think we've gone down that venue much. No, I I don't think it is. 
Uh, we heard from uh, Stephen Thurberge, who said, uh, I agree with JTA's me. It's Wanda's vision. Loved references to the miniseries twins, Tommy and Billy, as well as Pietro. Love the slow burn. We heard from uh, Sandra Resednes, who said, It's ge- uh, getting better by the episode. I can't wait until next week. Showing my age here, but I squealed when Vision was practicing on Kitty Carryall. Uh, we heard from Darren Bell. That's at Darren B four six zero five two zero five nine. Wasn't a massive fan of the first two episodes, but now I'm fully in. Uh, we heard from Spider Ham Lincoln. That's at Tess LC one three nine. I'm still liking the show very much, and just taking all of its slow burn in stride. I'm confident the payoff will be well worth the wait. As Wanda Viz slowly start to realize that all is not as it seems, we, the audience, also get deeper into the thick of it. Great show. And last, but certainly not least, Pete, is from LMD Mary. That's at Geek Kirk. I feel like the first two episodes were a, gent- uh, a gently roller coaster that took us a- took us way up. And at the end of the third episode was that first drop where you feel the seat fall away from under you. Yeah, I could definitely see that comparison here. And, and now at the end of this third episode with this building mystery, you could see why that was a good place to cut it for the media and where we stand right now. Pete, what do you have on your end of the bar? So on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Steve Adams writes in, I was very surprised by episode three. This series has taken a darker, more serious turn much sooner than I had anticipated. Wanda apparently views S.W.O.R.D. as a threat. Why? What happened with Geraldine. Did she slip when she mentioned Ultron, or was she probing to see where Wanda was at emotionally? Apparently Herb is more important than I thought. I still think he is part of this artificial reality we are seeing, but he may have a bigger role to play. I am a little surprised at all the Hydra mentions. I am hoping this is just an allusion to her past and the methods by which she gained her powers. Again, this was a very intriguing episode and only makes me want to see more. Until next time, stay fantastic. His words remind me that the only the only portion of the episode that was outside of Wanda and Vision, Wanda and or Vision's um scope was that brief scene with Dottie and Phil which if we are imagining some sort of you know Disney World Disneyland-esque on stage and backstage existence where we imagine that when when for example Agnes goes home she goes oh you know thank goodness I, I made it through another day or ah the terror or whatever it might be we don't necessarily imagine people who are aware of the situation going home and continuing to live like this in their now 1970s homes but that's what we get out of Dottie and Phil so it's like two opposites there that don't that don't make sense together yet Robert T. Frost writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page Hi Matt and Pete haven't been able to watch the newest episode but I have rewatched the first two a few times wanted to share episode 101 as Wanda and Vision arrive at their new home the for sale sign has an area code of 732. New Jersey, along the Atlantic coast, east of Trenton. 
So perhaps those bowling trophies Mr. Hart had were bought in Hackensack. And Matt, I had to reply here. I said, what if I told you Matt and Pete live in the 732 area code? (laughs) It's all true. And I very much appreciate that catch. I can't believe neither of us caught that. But um, looking at the uh, 732 area code map on Wikipedia, it does narrow the world down quite a bit to our neck of the woods. Uh, Robert T. Frost responds here, I would find that very cool and would say that you should watch your new neighbors. Uh, I'm also explaining something obvious to a couple of guys who live there, but neither of us saw it, Robert, so good job there. Also, interesting that the area code has a three as the middle digit, as the original area codes had either a uh, O or a one as the middle digit, perhaps indicating the show is in more modern times. Hmm. Well, just because I happen to have this Wikipedia open, the 732 area code was created in 1997. So uh, if nothing else, Peter confirmed, ah, but this way, we could actually dig pretty deep with that. I I don't know that anybody who was confused about Monica's age and Captain Marvel taking place in 1995. I don't quite know how that would relate to what we've been seeing here, but Can we confirm, if the area code is correct, that we are in a post-Captain Marvel 1, post-1995 era? I definitely. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, So James Killen, responding to Robert T. Frost, said, wow. And then Jeffrey Allen Johncox, JJ Nato, on Twitter here, on Facebook, replying, would have liked to have seen the writing in the third episode reflect the time like the first two did. This one's dialogue was current, not 70s. Can't wait for the 80s next week and then the CSI-like episode that is coming up. <laughs> uh, don't forget we are we are in sitcom um, conventions, not, uh, not, not drama conventions. However, Pete, we know we run out of decade sitcoms around episode six so whether we move to them actually that would solve some problems pete we had discussed our episodes seven eight and nine without the tv show convention you know at what point is that abandoned completely maybe we move into you know um some sort of you know sopranos existence for 107 and, oh, and how great things of that that <laughs> yeah is 109 game Vision of thrones yeah (laughs) um find out what happened in the pine barrens (laughs) there you go what else do you have on your end uh on apple podcast matt we've been left a quartet of reviews the first by dr bob k his headline just what i've come to expect from matt and pete five star rating and it reads want to go a little more in depth in each episode of wandavision want to catch things you missed on your first viewing matt and pete are here for you they've been podcasting the mcu for many years and always do a fine job glad you're still here guys well dr bob's words and wisdom always appreciated can't snap us away uh next left for us by dr steve t the headline here these guys really are fantastic probably a typo there 
uh, but he spelled Fantastock with the PH, Matt. So it's all good. Five-star rating, and it reads, This WandaVision podcast isn't another, just another offering from these two podcasters. They take pride in podcasting every, all caps, Marvel thing, exclamation point, high-quality knowledge and insight. Well, thank you, thank you for those kind words. Uh, Pika Pika Brownie, Matt, writes simply, amazing, five stars. I so far love WandaVision. I'm very excited to hear your next episodes. Well, here it is, and it involves you, Pika Pika. (laughs) And then Jeremy, and I'm not going to read off the number of ones, but there's a whole bunch of ones there, or maybe Matt in keeping. It's a white picket fence. Uh, says fresh with several S's, five-star rating. And his review reads, I just finished the first two episodes and I'm loving it. These guys really know a lot. I'm excited for the next episode of WV and not just because I am enjoying it, but also so I can listen to this podcast run through it. Well, Pete, hopefully we are more right than not with our theories because that's what's been a shift shall we say from some of the marvel tv stuff where you could do theorizing but how about this way the nature of reality was rarely questioned in a lot of the marvel tv shows whereas here it's a prison it's wanda doing it it's wanda in an experiment it's uh, unknown to wanda you know all of these are are viable options just want to quickly point out that though we've gotten a whole bunch of reviews there obviously we've had a couple clowns come through and leave either a one star or a three star rating really but not back it up with any kind of words and such so if you can get yourself over on apple Podcasts and flip us a five you don't even have to leave a rating or if you think we're jerks at least when you leave the one uh make a thought about it Indeed, Pete. All reviews uh, appreciated, especially the ones that that, uh, that use some words to explain themselves. With that, Pete, let's check the email inbox. And we have an email here from 084, so from Marvel TV to a TV show about Marvel. Uh, 084 says as follows. I don't know how many thoughts I even have after watching episode 3. Wanda continuously trying to plug little leaks in her dream life was both incredibly fun and frustrating in the best way. We finally get Billy and Tommy, though it remains to be seen if these are the kids that eventually join the Young Avengers or if they have to be reincarnated like the source material. When Geraldine makes the biggest leak yet, we finally get a good look at the outside world and some amazingly modern special effects. And I'm excited to explore more of that character and get a glimpse at S.W.O.R.D. Very, very excited to see how this keeps unraveling. Oh, and if you think you're complaining about the pacing of the show, you're watching it wrong. Don't know what else to tell you. I leave social media alone before I watch the new episode, but I almost want to leave it alone after, too, because at this point, I think people are nitpicking for the sake of nitpicking, and it kind of sucks. Until next time, 084. I'd agree with him there, because I I think some people, again, just want to judge this. You got to wonder, like, were people complaining about Brady Bunch in, in such a way? Like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened and like just the whole thing once have the whole thing but judge it in places you get it i mean yes we're conditioned as an audience but that doesn't mean it can't change 
Pete, that purple guy at the end of Avengers 1, why didn't they fight him in the next movie? Why was there all this weight, you know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, again, yes, I, w- I would agree with you. Generally, we are conditioned with Marvel movies that there's a, within the movie, there's a clear beginning, middle, and end. And when you say, Dr. Doctor Strange is a doctor. Now he's got strange magic powers. Oh, he's got to battle a guy. At the end of it, he finishes battling the guy. Like, yes, there's that, but there's also... Let's not forget, there's also the setup along the way of his powers and time and all. You know, like, it's it's all as mysterious. It's just they give us larger chunks, not less mystery in the movies. With that, Pete, we had all these listeners assemble, much like the Avengers, to share their thoughts. How can other people be like them? How can they be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J, Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,764 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word. Like it today. Well, we will be back this time next Sunday to talk episode four of WandaVision. With that, Pete, it's time to say adios to all our listeners, which I say now, adios, and give you the final word. Let's abandon the kitchen. Thank you.